to the Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Ompachuku Domalima. I'm joined by Itumeleng Uwa, CDIDA, an independent politics and international relations analyst. She's also a compliance and risk practitioner. Today, we're discussing the question of Palestine. On 2 November 1917, the British government issued the Balfour Declaration, which reads as follows. His Majesty's government view favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people and will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this object. It being clearly understood that nothing shall be done which may prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine or the rights and political status enjoyed by Jews in any other country. According to scholar Joseph Nair, 90% of people living in Palestine during World War I when the declaration was issued were Arabs. Welcome to the Unshackling Podcast, Uwa. The first lingering question that people may ask, and I think this is a very fair question which needs to be answered. Why should Africans be concerned about Palestine in the first place? Well, in response to that, we can borrow from the Amnesty International report about the prevalence of what is happening in Israel being related to what happened in South Africa under apartheid. Israel has continued to impose institutionalized discrimination against Palestinians living under its rule in the occupied Palestinian territories as a result of home demolitions and imposition of coercive measures to use excessive force during law enforcement activities in Israel. Israeli forces killed 31 Palestinians, including nine children in those occupied Palestinian territories. It has been maintained by Israel and its illegal blockade in the Gaza Strip, subjecting its residents to collective punishment and deepening the humanitarian crisis there. There's also a continued restriction of freedom of movement of Palestinians in the occupied Palestinian territories through checkpoints and roadblocks. Israeli authorities arbitrarily detained thousands of Palestinians from the occupied Palestinian territories, holding hundreds in administrative detention without charge or trial. There's also been torture with detainees, including children, which have been committed with impunity. The authorities use a range of measures to target human rights defenders, journalists, and others who criticize Israel's continuing occupation of the West Bank, Gaza Strip, and Syrian Golan Heights. Violence against women persisted, especially against Palestinian citizens of Israel. The authorities denied asylum seekers access to free and prompt refugee status determination processes. It's very important, Umpar, to also note international humanitarian figures such as Nelson Mandela have also weighed in on the situation in Palestine because of really how long it has been going on. He made mention to the fact that we cannot claim for there to be universal freedom, which will be achieved without freedom being achieved by the Palestinians. The assertion by Mandela was correct, and I'm actually glad that you made reference to the apartheid regime in South Africa. There are parallels to this. That's why some people call Israel an apartheid state. It's very true that one cannot say that we are fighting for black lives, for instance, or lives in South Africa. But when it comes to the question of Palestine and we just turn our heads, that would be quite contradictory in terms of human rights. Because remember, human rights are actually universal issues. Remember, we also fought colonization, colonialism. Even now, we're still fighting against neocolonialism. One would argue that indeed the struggle is the same for all of us because it's the struggle for universal human rights as you mentioned, it's the struggle for humanity and there's no such thing as that this person is different from that one. Yes, we do have differences in terms of culture, nationality and all that. 
but there is no difference in humanity. That is why some even did say that the human race is just one. There are no human races. Things like racism, this hierarchy is actually created by people to impose power on other people, to oppress other people. So yes, I think that's why it's important. I agree with you. We can't even proceed with the conversation without having a tie-in with the connection to the nation being a group of individuals claiming common identity and the right to form a state. This can be on the basis of ethnic similarity and solidarity, linguistic similarity and solidarity, as well as or cultural and religious similarity. You find that in the 1970s, the Arab states successfully lobbied in the United Nations General Assembly to pass a resolution that labeled Zionism as racism. Their intent was to deprive Israel of the legitimacy of calling itself a nation, and that was actually successful. Honestly speaking, this question of racism and nationalism, especially in terms of the Jewish, is actually quite contradictory in the sense that back in the Holocaust, when the Jewish were being wrongly persecuted, there was no justification whatsoever for Jewish persecution. And I think it's important to state that from the beginning, that as much as Israel is the oppressor to Palestine, their oppression cannot be justified as well. The ironic thing about this is that the Jewish who were segregated based on the so-called Aryan race and other characteristics. Let's say, for instance, you are supposed to have blue eyes for you to be German. If you don't have that, and if you are Jewish and you're persecuted, for the Jewish to be doing that to the Palestinians, we cannot honestly justify that. It goes against their own ethos of fighting for freedom because obviously the Jewish fought for freedom. We have seen a lot of stories about their resistance as well. We've seen many figures that survived the Holocaust. So that's the most concerning thing that I don't get. That why would they continue to do such things when they were dehumanized? It's like us as South African people going to colonize another place, yet we were colonized during the apartheid regime. It doesn't make sense. It honestly cannot be justified at all. That is very true. It's also important to know that with this institutionalized discrimination, there are so many effects that are coming into play when it comes to children being left homeless and without their parents. As Israel continues to discriminate against Palestinian civilians, with Israel choosing to enforce budget constraints in terms of the allocation, policing, and political participation when it comes to the Palestinians. According to Adala, the Legal Center for Arab Minority Rights in Israel, Israel has retained over 65 laws that discriminate against Palestinians. The vast majority of Palestinians in Israel comprise of 25% of the total population. They also receive under 1.7% of the state budget for local council. Israel demolished over 884 Palestinian residential structures in the occupied West Bank, including East Jerusalem, displacing 996 people, according to the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. Israeli authorities said many of the demolished buildings lacked Israeli-issued permits, which are virtually impossible for Palestinians to obtain and were in closed military zones. It's becoming increasingly impossible for Palestinians to maintain their livelihood and even be safe in their own homes in these contested areas within the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. Some of the data is coming from the report that was released by Amnesty International that Israel is an apartheid state. Now, more than ever, there's more research being done about the situation in Israel by these parties. 
it is a positive shift i'd say definitely in the international affairs arena that there are individuals and groupings in the humanitarian space that are given opportunities to go and conduct the research that we have found that's come out now I think some of the statistics might be a bit underrated because of the fact that there is still a lot of contestation coming from Israel when it comes to research undertaking in these areas. There's a lot of individuals that are being discriminated against that don't even get an opportunity to stay and get interviewed for these findings to be published as reliably as possible. Now that you mentioned the United Nations, the international community in general, because we know that at face value, when we're talking about the international community, we're referring to the United Nations. More concerning is what is the role of the United Nations, or rather what has been the historical role of the United Nations in the formation of Israel and the conflict itself in general. As you've also mentioned some of the things that have been tabled in the General Assembly, and this dates back to the formation of Israel. This was during the times of the League of Nations, which then became the United Nations. I'm more concerned about the fact that as much as there is research, what are the practical things that are being done? That is my main concern, because remember that as much as we can talk about ideas, the reality on the ground also needs to improve. We find that Palestinians are actually being oppressed, and in reality, they are treated as if they do not have human rights, and they do have human rights as much as they're being oppressed. The United Nations Security Council has issued resolutions, but Israeli aggression still continues. Yes, you can issue resolutions condemning something, but the aggression still continues. Settler colonialism still continues. Oppression still continues. Killings are still continuing. The jailing of children as young as nine years old is still a continuing thing. I think there hasn't been enough of a concerted effort by the international community to isolate Israel because we saw what happened with Donald Trump wanting to essentially turn this into a proxy situation where he was recognizing Israel and wanting to create closer ties with Israel as a state. When you find things like that happening within the international community and you have elements of isolation only coming from smaller players like South Africa, South Africa has been very forthcoming and straightforward when it comes to its disapproval of what is happening in the situation with Israel and Palestine. But we need to have more of a concerted effort. The same way you have colonial powers being able to come together, enforce embargoes, discriminatory laws and disinvestment efforts on countries such as Zimbabwe, we should be able to have that against Israel as a collective international effort. Yes, definitely. And this leads to my next question, because what you're talking about here, you are referring to issues of solidarity, like the divestment movement. The burning question here is what about Arab solidarity itself? South Africa can support Palestine as much as it can. We've been doing a good job in terms of that, even with the African Union. What about Arab solidarity? Is it even tangible? Is it even there to begin with? Solidarity has not really been very prevalent since the first suggestion was made by the United Nations when it was suggested that the Palestinians must divide the contested land with the Jewish. It's very contentious now with what's happening with the different Arab groupings that there isn't a very set out solidarity between them. And that is actually influencing the effect of the attacks that are happening. 
it's very difficult for them to form a government that's going to be representative of the population and seek to voice out the concerns of the population as a whole. I think that if we don't have unity in any liberation movement, there's no progress that's going to happen. We're still going to complain 10 years after other people are going to sit down and have a podcast about the same question. Scholars are going to be debating on national TV. Others are going to be writing books about it. That is my main concern there, that if there's no Arab solidarity or unity in the first place, how do we deal with the Palestinian question? How do we really mobilize and fight against oppression and aggression? Because it's very important to fight these things. The Israelis can have some claim to territory, but that kind of aggression cannot be justified at all, especially the expansion. Because you see in places like the West Bank, there's continued expansion by the Israelis. In Jerusalem, I still remember Trump was moving the embassy. These are problems we are facing because of this lack of solidarity. The other question one might ask themselves is that even if Palestine was to be granted its own sovereignty, proper sovereignty, then what is going to happen going forward? I'm asking this in terms of what is happening here in South Africa. It is not a secret that this country is actually what I call a neo-colonial post-colony because we have post-colonialism, but we are still within neo-colonialism, which is an extension of colonialism. When Palestine is granted that sovereignty, and there are going to be some sort of compromises. This conflict has been going on for so many years, and there are also a lot of dynamics there because you see some Arab countries not even supporting Palestine. They side with the U.S. That's where I think the proxy element comes in because the U.S. can exercise a great deal of influence on internal affairs and they use their military as well as economic standing to influence decisions. Then small countries choose to have allegiances. So it ultimately comes down to there being a proxy war of sorts. Speaking of proxy wars, there was an article dated August 2021 in The Economist the accept says that, and I quote, their struggle against Israel still looms large, but for Arab government, it has outlived its purpose. This is very painful and blunt, but also true. As you mentioned, there are proxy wars by the likes of the US. It seems as if for these Arab governments, the Palestinian struggle seems to have lost its momentum and its cause. One can simply give up and say that, okay, we just have to live it like that. These are some of the concerns that we have. Just because you have been defeated by an oppressive enemy doesn't mean that your rights do not matter. Your rights do matter. The same thing happened in South Africa during the apartheid regime. There were times when the liberation movements were defeated, they were disbanded. For instance, the African National Congress and other activists went underground and they started launching guerrilla attacks. This is what we also see in Palestine. It doesn't really mean that because they've been somehow defeated or there's this perception of defeat, then things must be just left like that. It's actually problematic because it goes back to this issue of Arab solidarity, that these Arab governments are actually proxies for the U.S. You'd find that for them to be able to form governments that are recognized, there's this international perception that a lot of these Arab governments come to being as a result of violent extremism or religious fundamentalism. So for you to be a religious fundamentalist organization or party that is also internationally recognized is very difficult. There's usually some sort of a disconnect between there being international recognition to be set out as proper governments and for them having general support from the population. 
you find that what the international media and the global community is reporting might not necessarily be what the sentiment of the national population might be. Kind of like what happened in Afghanistan. After so many years of fighting against the US rule and interference in the local proceedings and the runnings of the country, it was going to be a very difficult duty and exercise for there to actually be a consolidated representation of a government that is going to be taken as a legitimate government by the international community when the government that is coming into place is violent. You also have to wonder which party then would be legitimate when all of them have been deemed violent extremist organizations. There's a lot of rebuilding to be done. There's a lot of consolidation to be done. And at the end, these parties might need to work together. What you might find happening is that there might be internal conflicts that might arise in the instance that now there's a consolidation that needs to happen. This might actually lead to more conflict because this relates to state mm -hmm. building. When you are building or let's just say rather rebuilding a state, you have these different political groups or rivals that don't agree with each other fighting for the same cause. Just like in South Africa, after 1994, we saw different groups, but within the same liberation struggle, or rather within the same liberation movement. When I say liberation movement, I'm not referring to a single political party. I'm referring to every organization. When I say movement, I'm saying in general. Even in Afghanistan, as you mentioned, there is the Taliban, but you might find that there are other political groups that want to lay claim to political power or state resources for whatever reason that they have or maybe they also have a historical claim. These are some of the challenges that might happen in Palestine. It's not going to be easy, even after the aggression by Israel. That's if the aggression even ends to begin with, because there is no end in sight for this. But we need to envision beyond the current crisis. What does it help to just say that this and this is happening in Palestine? We also need to think forward, just as we did in this country. We thought forward way before 1994. With that also, there was an element of the proxy situation because the only reason the right moment came for us to get into a situation where the parties were willing to sit down and have these talks about talks. There was a buildup of about four years, but what led to these talks was the international proxy situation where communism had now been distracted and we were moving towards a more capitalist international global order. What happened was that a lot of stakeholders in South Africa actually realized that apartheid was no longer becoming feasible. That was also a concession on the part of the ruling party. Before the actual negotiation started, they had to identify the easiest or most accessible members of the opposition to communicate with. There was a great deal of talks about talks before the official negotiation started. There needs to be a great deal of concessions on all the parties' ends. But with all the aggression that's been happening, like you said, in Israel towards Palestine, it's really sad to see the situation because of how indiscriminatory it is. When you see how the livelihoods of so many people have been disrupted and young children that are suffering, refugees that are being denied refugee status, it's really just something that's going to take a while to establish which key stakeholders are going to be identified to play a role in the negotiation processes. 
I think overall, it would be failure on the international community's part to not use the institutions that have been established over the past couple of years to try and fast track the process of rebuilding and finding suitable concessions. We then can say that the UN is definitely not doing enough in playing a role as a stakeholder that's attempting to reach some sort of consensus amongst the two countries. It's really important to also wonder what the relevance of an organization like the UN is when it's not able to help with fostering that connection there. I'm actually glad that you spoke about the issue of refugees again because there's probably this misconception about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. One would think that, and again, I'm coming back to South Africa in terms of the question of territory or the land. Since we are talking about states, one would just think that they're just fighting over the land and then it ends there. But remember, as we've mentioned, it also comes to the issue of state building the issue of so-called nation building because the land question affects every aspect of life. You are going to set up your economic hub, for instance. How are you going to build the agricultural sector if the Palestinians don't have arable land? How are they going to be able to produce or even export agricultural products? How are they going to do things such as mining? Those kind of things and the social dynamics should be factored in as well because these invented nationalisms, identities and social structures are social constructions. As you also say, they also play an important part in terms of the land question because people can't just fight for the land as a base. The land is a serious space for struggle in terms of humanity because if you deny someone the right to live in a certain place, you're actually denying them the right to live. The question then would be, where do you want this person to live? It seems or the problem is that Israel wants a complete erasure of the Palestinian peoples. It's not just an erasure in terms of taking them away. That's why you see things such as continued colonial expansion, settler colonialism. You see killings, you see the jailings of people, as we've mentioned. So this is not just about the land question, but it's about the humanity of the Palestinian. In 1949, there was a conference in Switzerland. I'm not sure if you are familiar with that. The main concern of the Lausanne conference was that it did not allow the Arab refugees to go back into their lands. And then you ask yourself why? Because this person was kicked out, but then you're not letting them back. So you are actually extending the conflict. You're making the conflict worse by such actions. Remember, the international community has been involved in this whole process, as you've mentioned as well. It seems as if the United Nations is not making proper effort beyond these resolutions by the Security Council because the Security Council has too much power. You can't say that humanitarian aid is actually enough. I mean, sometimes an intervention is needed. Whether militarily or in any other way, we should have intervention beyond humanitarian aid. But it seems as if we are just maintaining the status quo with this dependency issue. That's true. And I'm glad you brought it back to the role of the United Nations. There was actually a situation where Uganda was issued with a fine to pay reparations to the Congo for war that happened between the two. We can use all the organs of the United Nations, not just yes, the United definitely. Nations Council. Also integrating the International Court of Justice where they can actually have more decisive action that they're going to be taking against Israel for the continued discrimination of Palestinians, the destruction of infrastructure, livelihood, and all the lives that have essentially been lost. 
that is definitely a situation that needs a more direct response and the responses must essentially speak to the rebuilding of the country you can't now issue statements about the situation being dire but not have any sort of consolidated effort that's going to lead to building for the people that are still in the country as you have said the entire project at the moment from the side of the israelis is to completely demolish the presence of palestinians in the land that is not something that should be allowed palestinians that are still living in palestine should be protected the livelihood and the infrastructure that has been ruined should be compensated for with reparations. That should be the angle with which the United Nations is approaching this and also if they would approach the International Court of Justice. But now that brings us back to which one of the stakeholders would be approaching the International Court of Justice if you don't have Arab solidarity. Yes, and also the other question is in terms of the International Court of Justice or even the International Criminal Court. You'd ask yourself about the structure of the international system, the hegemony, this so-called global order, this globalization, because you have certain powers that can block you from even submitting a case there. Especially when it comes to the Security Council, these are some of the issues that we are really facing. But I actually love the fact that you mentioned that we really need decisive action and also that different avenues must be tried beyond releasing statements saying that the situation in Palestine, Skaya, or the humanitarian situation is what we We need decisive action in terms of different avenues because this is a very complex conflict. So you can't say that you're only bringing the specific intervention or the specific solution. There must be different solutions. Definitely. As we conclude our discussion, what is your last comment? Anything you'd like to say? It's really just heart-wrenching to see some of the images and the videos mm. that emerge when there's been international reporting from the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. The visuals of little children that have lost their parents and families that have been displaced. This is unacceptable in 2022, in a world where we are trying to reach universal freedom and suffrage for everybody living on the planet. The conflict is not paying privileges to either one of the parties. We are really hoping that a resolution will be established as soon as possible. One that will be long-lasting and fruitful for the Palestinian population hopefully one that will also grant them some reparations for the losses that they face in terms of infrastructure. If you look at the buildings that have been demolished, so many hospitals, some of the hospitals get military attacks on them while patients are inside the building. It's a really heart-wrenching situation that's happening in Palestine. But we can only hope that the international community will reach a point where, again, they decide to take more decisive stances like South Africa has. South Africa is definitely doing its part in the international community. Hopefully more African stakeholders will start as the African Union and the BDS movement against Israel. Wow, this is very powerful. The highlight of this is decisive action beyond these statements that we see, the concerns that we see, the discussions that we see as well. It's important that all of us play a certain role in whatever way that we can. Even as we're talking like this, we're also playing a role. 
in terms of highlighting the problem. But other people who have the power and the means to do so must also play their part. We can only do what we are capable of doing. And they can also do what they're capable of doing. Thank you very much for the fruitful discussion. Thank you for having me, Umpa. It has been an absolute pleasure engaging with you on the content matter. And I hope we can do this again sometime soon. Yes, definitely. Thank you.